And my, my, you know, career was cobbled together by just taking on a lot of things that other people didn't want and learning how to value folks and, and, and building trust. And I eventually got here as a controller. I took a pay cut and I took a demotion to come into this industry, but there was something about it. There was something about what it does, right? What it does is it is the catalyst for people to, to live their lives, right? And unconsciously, mm -hmm. you, you know, they hit the switch and they don't have to think about it. And then when I came here and learned about the, the purpose of the industry and um, the significance of what it, what it does in the background when nobody's really paying attention, it really spoke to me. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined as always by the one, the only, the president and founder of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer. And we've got a very special episode this week. We did this once before, about a month or so ago, when we did our recap edition when we gave you the first eight episodes of the podcast well we're doing a little something similar to that given it's the holiday week the the kickoff to the end of 2020 and uh trust me when i say i don't think anybody's shedding a tear as we get ready to put a bow uh on the end of 2020 that's for sure but uh listen we've had a fantastic year here over at the green insider and over at e-renewable and so we want to reflect that this week with the uh opening of the holiday season so a little something we like to call the Thanksgiving mashup uh, edition of the Green Insider Podcast, where we're going to give you uh, snippets of the last four episodes that have been absolutely tremendous, and we're very excited about what we've done so far. Four just stupendous episodes that we've had here as of late. Four tremendous episodes, four tremendous guests, uh, which is a testament to what's going on in the renewable sector right now. We're very fortunate to get those four guests, and so we've got that coming up for you here on the Thanksgiving mashup. And uh, a nod to uh, to my guy, my man, my boss, Mr. Mike Niemer. When I told him I wanted to do the mashup edition, he kind of looked at me and said, mashup? Uh, he goes, are we sure we want to use that? And I said, Mike, listen, we're, we're here to educate folks, and if they didn't know what the word mashup meant before, they will know after they're done with this episode. And uh, Mike, with the, his, uh, his trademark smile, said, Fred, let's give it a shot. And that's the one thing I certainly enjoy about working with Mr. Mike Niemer, uh, as he has done with this podcast. It's all about educating folks and uh, uh, even when Mr. Mike gets educated, uh, it's a win-win for all of us. So speaking of Mr. Mike Niemer, here is a quick message from Mike and his lovely wife, Ann. Hi, this is Ann and Mike Niemer, founders of eRenewable. We realize this is a difficult time, but we want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. In addition, we want to thank everybody for being listeners of The Green Insider. We appreciate you following our podcast. We enjoy bringing it to you, and hopefully you've learned a little bit along the way. We appreciate your patronage, and we're looking forward to bringing you a big, explosive lineup in 2021. So have a good holiday, and we'll see you in December. 
Thank you two so much. Uh, once again, I've told you guys before, I've told you a thousand times, just two tremendous folks, two tremendous people and uh, what they're doing with eRenewable and the direction they're taking this company. And uh, it's certainly a great uh, organization to be a part of. And I know I'm certainly uh, lucky to be a part of this group and what we've done so far. And of course, uh, shout out to our guy, Roger House, as well, our director of business development. So without further ado, let's get this thing a rocking and a rolling on your Thanksgiving week. Listen, we've got four tremendous guests that we had over the last month, month and a half here on the Green Insider Podcast. Tim Eccles, Georgia Public Service Commissioner. Steve Shepard, Executive Director for NEMA. Ron Johnson, Solvay's Energy Transition Manager for North America. And then the one, the only, Mrs. Paula Gold-Williams, President and CEO of CPS Energy. So let's kick this thing off with Mr. Tim Eccles, Georgia Public Service Commissioner. Tim came on and certainly, uh, Tim, not afraid to uh, share his opinions and an animated gentleman as such. We discuss with him the future of nuclear energy in this country. Where does it stand in the pecking order of renewables and energy alternatives here in this country, as well as for the opponents of nuclear energy, what can be used instead, and what is Georgia doing about its use, and what do they plan on doing with nuclear energy? Well, I mean, we've got, you know, about a hundred hundred reactors, you know, going right now. Uh, so it is a, a very important part of the U.S. grid sitting here today. But as you gradually begin to turn those off, right, um, after the, the end of their useful life, and you decommission those, and this is going to, you know, take place over the next 20, 30 years, then you've got to replace it with something. And if you've got people clamoring for clean energy. Uh, and I say clamoring because in, in a lot of states, that's what they're doing. They're demanding it. Um, then what are you going to replace that nuclear energy with, right? In order to be able to provide the voltage, the, the baseload power you need. Well, natural gas would be logical, right? Because it's cheap, but states like California, New York, others are turning against natural gas uh, because of fracking, because it's a fossil fuel. So if you take natural gas off the table, you've taken nuclear off the table, you definitely don't like coal. What what, what are you going to do? Well, oh, oh, the batteries. Oh, worship the batteries, the batteries. Um, well, I mean, every form of energy has some kind of carbon footprint to it. I, I was talking to a guy on Twitter last night who was arguing with me about solar. I mean, he, he was for it. He thought it should replace everything. And I said, well, what about the carbon intensity of the manufacturing in China, right? They're making it in plants powered by coal that's not scrubbed. That's unscrubbed coal plants over there in China. And then they're you know, who knows what kind of labor they're using to build it, whether it's slave labor or not. You got some human toll there. And then you're going to and then you're going to load it up on a container ship and you're going to diesel power it all the way over here. And then you've got the intensity to be able to, you know, all this required to transport it to the side. I mean, it's not carbon free. Uh, and, you know, we you know, we treat solar and batteries like they're you know, like they're from God or something. And, uh, and there, you know, there's recycling issues involved with both lithium ion and solar panels. 
I mean, it's not perfect. No form of energy is perfect. And so to answer your question, nuclear energy should be an important part of going forward in the U.S. I mean, we're building two 1,100 megawatt units that will have at least an an 80-year life, maybe a 100-year life. Well, I mean, solar panels are warranted at about 25 years. A wind turbine gearbox has a two-year warranty on it. So, and we're building something that is substantial, that runs 24-7. You don't even have to change the fuel out except every year and a half. That fuel sits in there for a year and a half, and that thing runs, you know, 24-7 with zero carbon emissions. Uh, Yeah, China gets it, Russia gets it, India gets it, uh, but the U.S., for whatever reason, we have have folks um, on the West Coast and many other places that just will not embrace nuclear energy. Next up, we've got Steve Shepard, NEMA Executive Director, and uh, Steve, who came out of retirement, take over the helm at NEMA, and wow, what a what a way to come out of retirement for Mr. Shepard. Had no idea that he was going to be walking into a global pandemic when he did just that, so we discussed with him coming out of retirement, the responsibilities he had, of course, not knowing that this was back in 2019, so he had no idea that that was around the corner. What happens when your bread and butter, the two conferences they have every year in the spring and in the fall, get canceled? How they were able to pivot out of that, and what is NEMA doing as a result of the pandemic? Well, I, I would say, as I mentioned before, Mike did an outstanding job. So I'm, I'm always been a proponent. If something's not broke, don't try too hard to fix it. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, he had a legacy of putting on two very successful conferences every year, uh, one spring, one fall. Typically would get upwards of 250 people attending. Uh, I know when I was in the industry as an originator, I would absolutely circle the dates of the spring and fall conferences on my calendar because I knew that would be one of the preeminent opportunities to network and meet people in the industry uh, all about, at the end of the day, getting commercial transactions done. Everybody else knows that as well. So that's a real fundamental underpinning of what it is NEMA does and what it offers. So at a minimum, keep those conferences going and don't muck it up. And I'd like to think we've done an okay job. Now, mind you, COVID doing what it's done, we had to cancel both the spring and the fall conferences this year. Uh, Highly disappointing, but also very, very appropriate. Uh, We pivoted on a dime. Everybody likes to use that word pivot because we're all doing that now. But uh, we started oh, probably going back in time. Uh, when exactly? We switched gears and we started hosting virtual presentations. Uh, we did one in May and then we formally got into the program in August, late August. So now we're offering twice a month, the second and fourth Wednesday of the month, a virtual presentation by a whole host of different uh, subject matter experts, some members, some non-members about topics of great interest to the membership, both education, training, and updates. So we're going to continue to do that through the end of the year. Now, mind you, when I came on board, nobody anticipated we'd be doing this. But given COVID and all the circumstances that went along with it, we very much needed to offer additional value-added services and products to the memberships, thus virtual presentations. So we did that. Uh, We've done a lot of actual behind-the-scenes 
initiatives, governance. We changed the bylaws. Uh, we've changed their vision and mission. We've uh, changed our website. We've got a new email server. So lots of stuff that the world may or may not appreciate or see. Hopefully some of it they do. So there's been a lot of that going on in addition to the stuff, technical word that we're offering to the membership like the virtual presentations. Ron Johnson, Solvay's Energy Transition Manager for North America, was our next guest. And Ron, a just an absolute plethora of information. Ron had a very unique story, actually very similar to our own Mike Niemers, 24 years in the oil and gas business before he made that jump over to the renewable sector. He talks about the challenges that energy buying faces in North America, as well as how that includes working in deregulated versus regulated markets, as well as the issues that states like California face, where they have excess solar how that impacts the grid, and what battery storage could mean for that excess storage moving forward. You know, there's there's challenges. All these different methods of buying energy, but renewable energy, putting something in the ground, making it cost-effective. Can you compete in regulated markets? Can you pe- compete in deregulated markets? What's the matter with deregulated markets, right? Um, and that's another challenge that people have is, is adding to, as an example, in the southeastern part of the United States, it's kind of the old uh, utility uh, mentality where it's, it's a monopoly and, and they're, they're guarding their position and their, and their market share wholeheartedly. Different is if you look at California, California is promoting solar, right? Yeah. California's created a real problem with that. Everybody's got solar on their roof for all the offices creating a catastrophe in their the load shape for all the uh, the utilities. Um, they've got what they call a duck duck shape curve now. So the standard load shape curve is is uh, looks like a, a bell shaped curve for a utility. Well what happens in California is there's so much solar in in the marketplace that as as you would expect the demand to rise through the day, it actually drops off because of the amount of solar being produced. It's overproducing from, from what the demand is. And it's actually shifted the, uh, uh, the peak of the day from, from midday to evening. And so that creates problems for, for utilities like that. So there's, there's, there's lots of problems in, in many different areas. There's challenges, there's incentives. Real quick, is that where battery storage comes in? Because if it's overproducing, so that means it's putting more power on the grid than the grid can take? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you're talking about batteries and batteries is, I mean, that's, you know, this conversation, we, we can sit here for a couple hours and, and never get as deep as we want to in this conversation. But, you know, one of the, the, the changes in, in, in the environment of electricity in the United States is, is phenomenal. And what's happening was with the incentives, you're getting more these energy sources that are not variable. Wind is variable. It's really interesting. I used to have a, uh, a business partner of mine about, about 18 years ago who actually used to work for CenterPoint. And he worked in the control room. And he said, you know, you could literally watch the control board, the, the demand on the control board shifting downward as you could see where the cold front was just by the amount of demand or destruction that a, a cold front has, right? Well, when a cold front comes through, that's when those windmills are, are whipping it up and generating a lot of electricity. You see, you, you can see power prices in ERCOT actually go negative. It's kind of the same thing you can have with solar in California in the mid-peak of the day. Okay, same so it's producing more than being used. Producing more than it's being used, and something needs to happen. It's, it's a great resource, right? But what do you do with that? There comes in the, the, the discussion of the batteries. How can batteries work with that? 
Batteries are also good in other situations where you have, um, whether it's, and, and again, batteries aren't necessarily considered green, but they facilitate things. We have programs, uh, if, if you look at some of the regulated utility tariffs, they're structured so you have a high demand and you have very low energy prices. Intergy is an example of that. Intergy has extremely high demand charges. So what that means is if you peak, you're going to be paying this big bill. I couldn't put solar in to compete with that because of the, the you know, less than a penny type of pro, uh, price for solar. And so what ends up happening is when, when you have a battery, a battery can actually complement the solar exactly. Because solar, sometimes clouds come by, right? And if, if that cloud comes by, your, your, your energy pops. And so you can, exactly what you're saying, that battery automatically will kick in and levelize that, that what looks like your, your demand will keep that reduced. Like that duck curve, which is now later in the day. And so the utilities in California have actually shifted their peak time. So what that means is my peak's going to peak way over here when the solar's already gone and I'm not going to get that solar benefit anymore. So if I plop a battery in, it can shave off that peak. Finally, our last guest is one Mrs. Paula Gold Williams, president and CEO of CPS Energy over in San Antonio, an absolute gem of a human being. Uh, Paula was nice enough to give us some of her time a few weeks back, and it was just an absolute pleasure to speak with her and what she's doing over at the largest municipally owned energy company in America. And of course, Paula Gold Williams is the only black female CEO in the energy sector, saying a lot about what she's been able to do and also what needs to be done in the energy sector as we go into 2021. But Mrs. Gold Williams talks about providing value for her customers, how her and her team look at long-term projects, as well as how her background as an accountant has helped her give kind of a different perspective when she looks at projects and how they go about doing their business over at CPS Energy. Be the standard answer, but I'll tell you, it's not the whole story for us. I mean, the standard answer is the way that we make value for our customers is always paying attention to costs, not just of of a PPA or a particular source, but everything. I mean, we we optimize everything. Now, in reality, the way a utility functions is is economics, right? It's economies of scale. If you can spread more of your dollars over over everything, right? You, you, what you're trying to do is always pull down that overall cost per unit and look for technology improvements and look for great contracting and other efficiencies. So it's critical. However, um, we still believe that innovation has to be fed. And we also believe that when we blend our overall low cost of operation with and you know with a mix of you know fairly inexpensive generation moderate generation but maybe more expensive but but there's this extra element of diversification or something like that we our cost structure is big enough that we can blend in different types of technology because again we still believe that you've got to feed innovation you've got to keep investing in it and the example i always give you know our customers are I was here and like everybody else, we were here when people wanted the, to move from CFLs to LED lights, right? That, that transition. I don't know if you remember this. Everybody assumes now yeah. that everybody liked them. No, everybody hated LED lights mm-hmm. when they yeah. first started. They were, they, were, they were very expensive 
and their efficiency didn't look great. And people weren't used to the illumination and all of that. What's happened over time, because we gave away a million lights in San Antonio, we gave them away, we put them in our, our energy efficiency and conservation program, and we had to give them away to get the people to change their preference, what they were used to. And the, from the prices we paid at first to the prices we paid over, I guess, like a five-year period, the price came down and the efficiency came up. And so now people don't think twice. Nobody walks into a store and says, can I have that old CFL? Because I think it's great and I want to pay a higher energy bill, right? So you have to feed innovation. Yeah. You have to buy into it and you have to, you have to leverage it in. So, so pricing's important, but it's not the whole story because again, we feel it, it evolves just like everything else. And we'll get there. We'll get, we're, we're at some prices people never thought we were going to see in solar, for example. Now, look, I'm going to count. I'm going to tell you this too, though. I think, I think it's about value. And I want to make sure that the solar industry is sustained. Mm -hmm. And I think I, you know, people get so transactional that they, you know, they want it to cost zero. Well, I don't know what, what infrastructure you invest in and it could be zero. It can't be zero. There's value there. The sun is free, but solar energy costs something to to make. Right. I, I believe there should be a value proposition. And, and again, if, if we keep feeding the solar industry, then it'll continue to make the innovations that it needs to. I mean, maybe it's not, maybe not a lot, but maybe there's, there's more on the efficiency side that they can get with good, good pricing. And it's some of the best pricing, you know, that you can find anywhere. But again, I still believe that you've got to, that if if you don't do that, you run an, you run in a, a technology to the ground, right? You don't, it doesn't keep growing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a realist mm-hmm. and an accountant. Once again, we want to thank everybody here for tuning in to the Green Insider Podcast. We, we've had a tremendous start to 2020. And uh, as we get ready to wrap this up, we're going to go out with a bang here in 2020. Uh, we've got some episodes planned for you that we're very, very excited about and that we're looking forward to. So um, once again, uh, check us out, erenew.net. That's the website. Uh, learn more about what we've got going on. And, of course, again, we've got great plans for 2021. So we wish we ask you to stay tuned for that. Uh, of course, for the podcast, folks, if you want to catch any of these podcasts in their entirety, you can go to Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, a huge thanks to Mike Niemer, Ann Niemer, Roger House, and the entire eRenewable team for everything you guys have done and all of the listeners and the supporters of the Green Insider Podcast. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Please be safe. Mask up. Keep your social distancing. And uh, again, make sure that uh, you're taking care of yourself and your family and your loved ones this holiday season. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier.